for a long time in my life, I always thought of people as inherently dangerous. When we think about how our childhood shapes our thoughts as adults, we look at what was that environment? If you constantly grew up in an environment that was negative or berating or hateful, those are gonna shape what your first thought is going to be when something happens. It impacts the judgment that we have in ourselves, which then we start to overthink every choice we've ever made. I think that there's like this inner masochist in a lot of us where we engage in some of the content that makes us feel like crap, willingly. I'm the queen of the block button. I will block anybody. Welcome back, everyone, to Diary of an Empath. My next guest is Kristen Gingrich. She is an LCSW, just like me. She's a licensed clinical social worker. She's a content creator, and she's a mental health advocate. She's doing big things on TikTok and Instagram, and that's how I came across her social media. Kristen, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've been following you for a long time, so I'm, I'm super excited to just get you on the show talk about the power of your thoughts, because this is something I've been wanting to talk about for a long time. And if we dive into other things, great. But just thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to talk about this. I feel like we've been kind of following each other for a while. And it's really just nice to see your face and to get this energy and to to see you face to face. Because we like content creators, we follow each other, but we never really get to actually talk, you know, and especially because we're kind of in the same niche and we do a lot of the same things. So it's really great to have you on. So tell me a little bit about your background, who you are, how did you get into this? I want to know more about you. Yeah. So I'm Kristen. I'm a, like you said, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I also have a license. Um, I'm also a certified alcohol and drug counselor, a certified clinical supervisor. I work and have worked in community mental health for the last six years, little over six years. I love it. My current position is a supervisor of a program. I still carry a small caseload, but I oversee case managers and other clinicians. I love working with co-occurring, so substance use and mental health colliding. That's kind of like my little bit, my little niche area where I love to really work in. But yeah, I am a recovering people pleaser. I am here to really break down the walls of mental health and talking about it and show that therapists um, also are not blank slates. On my platform, I talk a lot about my own trauma, my own experience throughout my whole life. So um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. I think that for me too, just as a therapist, as somebody who is also a mental health advocate, like you, I've had my own past stuff. I'm pretty open with my own trauma. And that's shaped a lot of who I am. And even a lot of the reasons why I think the way that I do just because of some of the things that I've been through. And so the way that the brain operates and the way that we think has always been something that fascinates me. And I think that for a lot of people, they don't realize just how powerful thoughts can be because, you know, we just think like, oh, no, it's just a thought that pops into my head. What's it going to hurt? So why do our thoughts matter? They matter because we hear them all the like, hear them, quote unquote, all the time. Our thoughts matter because they're our own internal narrative that makes up our belief systems in a lot of ways. We've had our thoughts since day one. Even if we can't remember them from day one, they're always there, whether it's negative or positive or right in the middle. A lot of times our thoughts guide our actions and then which guides our emotions or they guide our emotions, which then guide our actions. Thoughts keep us safe. 
thoughts put us in harm's way, but they're so important because they, they make up who we are. If we didn't have thoughts, we wouldn't exist. That's right. I think that you made a lot of great points. It's really the basis of what makes us human, right? And it's mm-hmm. not to say that thoughts are, they're not all bad. They can be a survival method. They can keep us safe. Yeah. You know, if you look back from our ancestral days, we had to utilize our thoughts to keep us safe so we could survive. So mm-hmm. when I think about things and how I am as a person, I think about my childhood and how my yeah. childhood really shaped who I was. How can our childhood shape our thoughts as adults? Because I know sometimes when we go through certain things, whether it's dysfunctional families, dysfunctional mm-hmm. family systems, dysfunctional environments, it can really shape who we are today. So how can that affect mm-hmm. us? If you've had a kind of traumatic childhood, that's going to impact the way that you see the world and the way that you that you take the world in and your thoughts about that. So for myself, for a long time in my life, I always thought of people as inherently dangerous because of things that I experienced in my childhood. I would meet a new person and I would I would immediately think of them as dangerous because I didn't know who they were. Whereas that's not true. There's a piece of that that is survival mode. We want to keep ourselves safe, stranger danger, obviously, but it was more than that. It was an automatic thought that this person might hurt me. And so when we think about how our childhood shapes our thoughts as adults, we look at what was that environment? If you constantly grew up in an environment that was negative or berating or hateful, those are going to shape what your first thought is going to be when something happens. So if you spill a glass of milk and the first response from someone is, wow, you're such a klutz. And that is something that consistently gets said to you every time you make a mistake and you spill something, that is going to be your immediate response when you're 17 and you spill something. And sometimes they're worse, like that internal monologue is obviously worse. It could be worse or better than that. Our childhood can also shape our thoughts into a positive way. If you are raised in a loving and supportive family, you can look and say, oh, I spilled that cup of milk. Oh, I just, I spilled that. I made a mistake. I can clean it up. Your your brain doesn't go to that like super negative area versus it goes to more of a positive reframe. Yeah, I think that, As children, especially depending on how you grow up, it can really shape things because I've been pretty open about my my history, my trauma on my podcast. And I I noticed that on your platform, you've talked about your history with your relationship with your mom. And I can relate and I validate you so much because I – you know, had this huge dysfunctional relationship with my mom, very personality disorder, BPD, you know, probably even teetering on the narcissistic side. But a lot of those little things like that dialogue where, you know, you would, as me as a parent, I would let things go to my mom. It was like the biggest deal. It would just be her biggest trigger. And as a child, I didn't know that. I just thought she's angry at me. It's my fault. Mm -hmm. I'm doing something wrong. I'm not good enough being told, you know, you're just like your dad or, you know, just however she would take out her anger. And I internalized that as I got older and I had this like dysfunctional relationship with men. I had dysfunctional relationships with people. I had a hard time attaching to people. Instead of being a people pleaser, I actually became the opposite. I had such a dysfunctional time even just connecting with people. It was very difficult for me. And even now as a very insightful 37-year-old adult, 
and having self-awareness, I still have a hard time. So that that connection between childhood and the way that we think, I think is so important to realize. So let's talk about trauma. So even just going through trauma or something traumatic as an adult, how does that impact the way that we think if we go through something traumatic now and now we believe that it's not safe? How does that impact our thoughts and why does that matter? Side note, did you guys know that I'm not only a therapist, but I'm also a professional tarot reader? It's not exactly me hovering over a crystal ball telling your future. It's a tool to connect with your guides and your higher self to help you in certain areas of your life. Tarot genuinely changed my life and it can potentially change yours too. Click on the link in this podcast for more info. Okay, back to the podcast. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times we'll see that blanket in a lot of different areas. So we'll see a traumatic event happen with a specific person. And then we start to find maybe those people, people who look like that person are now unsafe as well. And it starts blanketing them. We start kind of finding ways, again, to keep ourselves safe. We utilize those thought processes to keep ourselves safe. So maybe something happened at night and now you're convinced that I can't leave my house after 6 p.m. because something will happen to me. Which again, there's a piece of that that is very accurate response because something did happen at night. But when it starts to kind of that blanket over a lot of areas in your life and begin to impact your daily living, we start to see how that starts to impact ourselves more and more and more. It sometimes makes us not trust our own judgment or it impacts the judgment that we have in ourselves, which then we start to overthink every choice we've ever made when the trauma happens because we're like, well, what if I did this? What if I didn't do this? What if I did this? Which then sends us in a full spiral somewhere else. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I just did a really interesting podcast. I haven't released it yet. It's coming out this this week with Dr. Jen. And we talked about the brain. And what was so intriguing to me is we were talking about trauma and how it affects the frontal lobes and how that's essentially shut off. And those frontal lobes are really responsible for that, that human nature, that social component. Whereas the other parts of the brain, like the hypothalamus, is activated. And so it's constantly being in that fear mindset. And so even like everyone listening right now, like I even want you to know that sometimes the thoughts that you have, especially going through a trauma, some of those thoughts you really can't help. Your brain is literally rewiring itself to now say, okay, we have to survive, but you may be in a safe situation now, but your brain doesn't know that. Your brain doesn't know how to shut off. But the great thing about our brain is we have neuroplasticity and the ability to rewire itself. So there is definitely that that hope for change. So Let's talk about the physical health. And I, I know that, you know, you're not a you're not an MD, so definitely don't want to go into that aspect. But I feel like as a mental health clinician, I've seen how someone's thought process and the way that they think can really negatively impact their health overall. I wanted to get mm-hmm. your thoughts on that mm-hmm. and what you think. Yeah. I mean, you, I think you just said it too, is like, especially when we are traumatized and we get caught in those thought cycles, our body releases those fight or flight chemicals. It releases that cortisone. It releases that adrenaline. And it's doing that consistently. And our bodies don't know how to react and work with all of those chemicals consistently going throughout our bodies. And so we see, again, increases in anxiety, increases in stress, fluctuations in weight, 
headaches, migraines, upset stomach, diarrhea, yay, Pepto-Bismol. Like you see all (laughs) of that happen. There's such a strong relationship with the things that go on in our brain and the impact that it does have on our bodies. I mean, if you've had any health trauma, you might not be going to the doctor to be getting things checked out. That's going to have its own impact. Again, feeling distrustful of a system might keep you from taking care of your physical health. These thoughts might keep you from doing certain things to help you take care of yourself for a lot of ways. So I like the point that you made up. I think it's such a great point that you made about not trusting the system. And that could even be a reason why you don't seek healthcare or even access to healthcare because we don't often talk about those things. So I'm a vet and I was in the military and I have a lot of clients too and just a lot of people who listen to the podcast who are female veterans. And that is something that we hear often. They get out of the military And they don't trust the system that they worked for because maybe they had a sexual assault. Maybe they were injured in combat. Maybe they had something else traumatic happen while they served. And now it's that same system that didn't protect them. So they don't feel safe now getting care with that same system that they have access to, which is at the VA. But we see that a lot. There's a lot of distrust for that system and therefore why a lot of the population doesn't get care because they don't feel like it's going to help them or they don't trust the clinicians that are there, not because of personal you know, vendettas against them, but because they are a part of the system that hurt them in the first place. So such a good point. I also feel like there's a disconnect with the medical side and the mental health side, and it really should be meshed together. But there's such a disconnect because when you go to your medical doctor and you say, well, you know, I'm having pain, I'm having this, and they and they can't find a, a reason. Oh, well, it's it's mental health, it's in your head. But there is a distinct connection. If you're stressed, you feel it. You get pain in your back, you get pain in your shoulders. That's stagnant stress that's turning into physical manifestations. So such good points on that. So for somebody who is listening right now and they're like, okay, I'm going through some of these things, but I don't know where to start. How do you just decide? Like if I could shut it off and I can start thinking positive right now, I would do it. Everyone would do it. So where does somebody start if they want to try to start shifting that mindset? Yeah, I think it all starts with just the mindfulness of it. In order to change something, you have to be aware that you're doing it. So if you catch yourself, I like to call them negative spirals. If you catch yourself going down a quote unquote negative spiral, you have to stop yourself. You have to literally say out loud, stop, because you have to do something that'll break that, like kind of break up that cycle. I then I usually ask my clients to, A, validate what they're feeling, because the goal is not to invalidate the negative piece, because that's coming from somewhere. That's coming from some real emotion. It's coming from some reaction. But we also want to find ways to prove that it isn't true and to prove that in some way that it's not maybe as it's not true. It's not as exaggerated as your mind is making you think that it is. So I always go back to this. It's I'm going to fail this test. So I'm going to fail out of school and then I'm never going to have a job. So that's like one of the common things, like something I hear very often with my teens. So I'm going to fail this test. So I'm going to fail out of school and I'm going to go out of a job. Well, If I'm working with a teen who has a job, I might say, well, right now you have a job. It may not be your favorite job, but at least you have a job. So right now the last part isn't true. 
And then I kind of say, okay, what are the chances you could fail this test? And we talk about that. And I said, do you think one test will make you fail out of school completely? Well, no. I said, okay. So, and like we talk a little bit more. It's like obviously more in depth than that. And then we get to what if I fail the test? And we validate again, like, yeah, this test is hard. It's, it's U.S. history. This is really hard for you. Okay. What have you done now to prepare? What do you think the chances are that you would actually fail? And we kind of break it down a little bit while also validating. And it, and I think we can do that ourselves just by saying, stop. Okay. Can I find one thing that counteracts what I'm thinking? Just one. That takes it from this is 100% true to 98% true. Um, again, it's not to invalidate the reason why we had that thought in the first place, but it's to also just get us to like take a step back and break out of the negative. I love that. It's almost like pumping the brakes, seeing what's realistic right now versus what hasn't even happened yet and might be very unrealistic. And then, okay, well, if it's realistic, if this is your reality now, what have you or have you not done to contribute to this situation or make the situation better? It's almost like this cognitive approach to that. So I love that. So speaking of mindfulness, I love that you brought that up because it's very much being aware. I don't know if you're into meditation. You know, I'm not like I'm I'm very much a advocate of meditation. I'm not like a huge, you know, knowledge base on it, but I love the idea of being mindful and slowing down and actually detaching from social media, because I feel like social media and the generation that we live in has impacted the way that we think, the way that we think about ourselves, the way that we think about our body image, the way society tells us that we have be. So I'm so curious to see what your thoughts are being a content creator, being a mental health clinician, and how social media mm-hmm. impacts our thoughts. Oh my God. I could go on a whole other podcast and talk about body image and I social love it. media. Let's I talk think about I've, it. I've done it. I've done it like three <laughs> times already. One of the things I constantly remind people is that you have to remember that social media is a snapshot. Even if someone uploads a 10 second story 10 times in out throughout the day, that's only a hundred seconds. That's only a minute and a half. That's right. Maybe someone's checking, someone's checking the time they're listening and they're like, she's wrong. Um, that's only a minute <laughs> and a half of their entire day. And so what we do is we catch ourselves comparing ourselves to that and then we start feeling like shit about ourselves. That's or right. we watch someone upload a photo of them in a swimsuit. And what we don't realize is that they're slightly lifting their bottom up and, and slimming their leg out so the cellulite doesn't show. Or they're mm-hmm. arching their back just ever so slightly so their belly doesn't their belly doesn't crevice. I've done it. I will admit it. I there are times I've done it. I'm a human. Um, right. But what we do is we take those things again. It's kind of like thoughts. We take those things as facts. When the reality is, is they are not facts. They are snapshots of a moment. And you have to dig into that to then say, is this actually what they look like? Is this actually what they're doing? That continues to impact the way that we think and the way that that we view the world. I mean, even just the amount of access we have to news media. I literally had to, I laughed. This It's dark humor laugh. But I was scrolling Facebook and I got, I don't get on Facebook too often anymore, but I was scrolling it and it was like, Woman dies of an alligator attack. Scroll. Woman dies in a fire. Scroll. A couple got like hit off the road. Scroll. Like literally in like the two minutes that I was scrolling, it was like all negative. And I was like, what Mm -hmm. the fuck am I reading? 
And right. so again, like that puts a damper. When I, I try not to actually look at my phone too much in the morning when I get up, because a couple of weeks ago, I just had a moment where I looked at my phone. I don't, I can't even recall what it was, but it was a big media thing. And I woke up and that was the first thing I thought of in the morning yeah. then was this tragedy. And I was like, well, I, there went my day. I didn't even have a chance to put myself in a good mood. And so we have to remember, like, even our outside things impact the thoughts and feelings that we have. That's right. Yeah. Our, our world is, we have access to everything now. And, and it can be good. It can be, we can use it for the greatest good. I always tell people, you know, your social media is literally your library, you have the choices of what you want to fill your library up with. And you have the choices when you go in your library and when you choose to go out. If you want to fill your library with junk, I mean, hey, that's on you. That's completely no judgment. But don't be surprised if that impacts the way that you think, if that impacts your personality, if that impacts the way that you view the world, as opposed to if you fill your library up with things that help fuel you, help feed your soul, help your mental health, help you look at the world. Because here's the thing, you made a lot of good points. With social media, it's like these expectations to look a certain way, to be a certain way, to have this perfect life. We all know that social media, we all put out what we want to put out to the world. Like if I want you to think that I'm on a trip, I literally can be in a fake jet, take a video and a picture, and you'll think that I'm jet setting somewhere on the world. And we do it for likes and comments. It triggers those dopamine hits in our brain. But you have no idea the struggles that that person goes through. You have no idea how much dieting went into that one photo shoot. You have no idea if they're taking performance enhancing drugs. You have no idea what they're doing in their life. But it's absolute factual that social media is impacting the mental health of women, of young teens, even men. Suicide rates have gone up. We've seen it during COVID. You know, so I, I absolutely agree with everything that you said that social media is impacting our thoughts and how we view the world. So if somebody is listening right now and they say, you know what, man, I'm guilty of that. What's your best advice if you know, maybe they are struggling with their social media, but can't seem to step away. <laughs> what do you do? So I mine is really kind of a hot take. And I don't know, there might be people who get really mad listening is at the end of the day, you have a choice. We have a choice to be on social media or not to be on social media. You have a choice in who you follow. You have a choice in what you engage in. Now, I know that certain things like the TikTok for you page, may bring up things that you don't want to see. Well, there's a not interested button. There's a swipe pass button. There's a block button for a reason. But sometimes I think that there's like this inner masochist in a lot of us where we engage in some of the content that makes us feel like crap willingly. I mean, I've, I will I've say it. it. Sometimes I watch, I've done it. We have to take accountability for that. We have to take accountability also for our own choices to engage that we are engaging in our own suffering. Now, as a content creator, user 596105 mm -hmm. starts trolling on the feed. I've been the one like, what are you talking about? And I'm just like, now I see it. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to respond because, but I used to be that one and it would piss me off. I'm the queen of the block button. I will block anybody. <laughs> I do not care. Block. Like, and again, I think that there's, for me, there's a balance. Like people have given me actual feedback and I'm not, but if you're coming out of my page, making me feel like shit mm -hmm. about myself, being mean to me, whatever, like I don't give a shit. Bye. 
you don't need my, yeah. you don't need access. You don't like my content. Bye. And, but it got me a long time to get there. I really do like, I mean, I, I think we have to remember, like, we have choices. We have choices of the people we let in our life. We have, I mean, obviously, like, if you're five, you don't have as much choice in that. But, like, as adults, you have a choice. You have a choice to be on social media or not. You have, and, and again, there's a piece of if you can't stay off, then you need to look into, you need to do more inner work and find out why you're so attached to it. But that's the biggest thing is remembering that at the end of the day, you are the one with the power. And and taking back that power. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I frequently unfollow people because I'm like, you know what? I haven't really dug content in a while, not really liking it. Like, I don't want to really want to see this on my timeline anymore. Bye. I am not friends with family, certain family members on Facebook because I'm like, mm, nope, I don't want to see that. Because that protects my energy. It protects myself. And so we have to remember that, again, at the end of the day, it's our lives. And we can live our lives how we so choose. And if you choose to engage in the suffering in in that masochist type way, then you're choosing that. It's a choice. And people may not, they don't want to hear it. They may not like it. But at the end of the day, what happened to you, and I say this a lot, what happened to you, if you have trauma, if there are things that were out of your control, that's not your fault. But healing, no one is responsible for healing except for you. No one is responsible for your actions except for you. Now, of course, we're not talking about abusive situations. We are literally talking about things that are within your control. But when you are exposing yourself to social media, that is a choice. And there is a level of self-awareness. And here's the thing. I'm human. You're human. I've done it. You've done it. I've, I've gone back and forth with the trolls at times. I've, I've looked at pages and I'm like, damn, why are they doing this? And I don't look like that. And I'm working out. And how come I don't have a six pack? And why is this not happening? I've, I've literally been there when I've had people look at me like, are you, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I want to slap you. You know, so we always are the main characters in our own movies, but at the end of the day, we we have to take some kind of accountability. So I do agree with you there because I also think that we live in this society too on social media as a content creator. I'm sure you've heard this a lot. Just be positive, but it's just not always that simple. It's not always that. Just, just be positive. So if someone can't afford therapy, if someone's not able to afford therapy, what are some <laughs> concrete... <laughs> I know it's a very toxic thinking. What are some actual concrete things that someone can do starting today, whether it's exercises, journaling, I know you have a journal. So what are some things that somebody could do to actually start processing some of these feelings and challenging their thoughts? Yeah. So I think, again, it's just being mindful of your own self. I think the first step is starting to be mindful. It's not meditation. It's not any of that. It's catching yourself when you're going down that spiral and taking a moment to stop and sit in it and ask yourself, where is this coming from? Feel free to write it down, jot it down in your phone. Ask yourself what was happening right before I started that spiral. Reflect on those type of things because the more you start to see patterns, you start to see where the where that's coming from. So I didn't realize I was having so many trauma responses until I started tracking them and starting putting the puzzle together. When I started putting the puzzle together, I was like, oh, shit. Thanks, mom. Appreciate that yep. one. Oh, yeah. Like, but Same. it's important <laughs> to put those puzzle pieces together because 
you can do some of that on your own. Because when I, when I talk about therapy, I always say like a lot of that work is done on the outside. Like those thought processes, like I can help you stop them in session, but you can do those things on your own outside of it. I think it's also important again, to just ask yourself, what's something that can take this, that this negative thought is 100% true and take it down to 99, just that baby step. That's, that's all we're looking for. Because once you start doing that, it becomes a habit. And then once that's a habit, you can take it out of 95 and 85 and down to the point where it's a realistic fear. So failing a test, right? Failing the history test could be a realistic fear, but okay, I have done the studying. I've studied for hours. I feel like I know everything. I feel I'm not great at taking like Scantron tests. I don't even know if Scantrons are still a thing, but that's, that might be aging ourselves. Good God. (laughs) But like, I'm not good at multiple choice tests, but I've studied. I know this. So, and when you say, but I'm not good at Scantron, like you're at least validating why you think you might do well, but not do well, but you've at least given yourself two reasons why you might do well. Because then what happens is, is if we're only focused on the negative, then we're going to get in our heads. So trying to find those ways again, to bring yourself down is key. And sometimes talking it out with a friend, like help me process this because right now I'm thinking I'm going to fail out of school and never succeed at anything else in the rest of my life because I feel this one history test. Most of the time, our friends can talk us through it, obviously with consent. Like you want to make sure your, your friend's okay with you talking it through with them. But yeah. Sometimes just noticing the patterns and being able to recognize them because sometimes we don't always recognize what's triggering us. We just know what we're feeling. We know what we're thinking, but we don't always know how to control our thoughts. But if we're able to recognize those patterns, it might be easier to then try to do certain things or avoid certain things in order to change your habits or change your behaviors that follow. I love that. Mm-hmm. So you're you're a mom. Mm-hmm. I'm a mom too. We both I got am. kids. Yes. And so I know that, you know, for me, sometimes having my daughter, I've had to really start shifting even some of the way that I think because, you know, some of that generational trauma got passed down to me. So I've had to shift the way that I think in order to not pass that down to her. So I'm just curious as a mom, as somebody who's in the mental health field, how has that affected your parenting? Because I know I've, I struggled with that for a long time. And and I'm just now finally like, I feel like I got a grip of it. But then when I think I do, then I'm like, Oh, God, teenage years started. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I feel like parenting impacted my own thought processes more than it's impacting like how me me teaching my child, like, again, like my own mom trauma, like, I've had a lot of stuff that was learned behaviors that I like that are innate thoughts. And I've had to stop that for myself. This has really helped me. This kind of mental health this understanding of thoughts to really be able to sit with my kid out and really talk about, talk about what consequences are. My kid's four. So he's, he doesn't quite get it all because he's four, but like, we'll talk about, Hey, like you, mommy has to take this toy right now because you threw it after mom saying twice. And I know that you're frustrated and I know that you just wanted it to bounce and really kind of talk about those things and talk them out. I'm really aware about how I talk to my son about his achievements. I'm really aware at how I talk to him about his body. I'm really aware at all of that because I know that that's where those thought processes lead. So my son one of the things we notice is that when he gets praised, he when he does something well, he constantly looks for us for praise. And that's great because there is an age-appropriate piece to that. 
but we actually encourage him. Like we'll give him a little bit of a praise, but we encourage him to praise himself so that he's not constantly looking for validation in others. And so then when he doesn't get it, he doesn't feel like, oh, wow, those people didn't praise me. I must not have done well. So instead, teaching him that inner validation is something that we're really working on. I love that. I I love that you mentioned body image. So I have a teenage daughter. She's almost 14. It's freaking crazy. I cannot believe that she's literally going to be in high school next year. It's, It's fucking insane. But I have to be very aware with the way that I talk to her. I did a really amazing podcast a long time ago with Dr. Morgan Francis, and we did an entire episode on body image. And I loved how you know, she really tied in how us as parents, we have to be very careful, even at the small things that we say, like, oh, when's the last time that you showered? You know, you you kind of smell, you know, even saying things like that can really change the mindset and affect the way that our children think about their own body image. And I even had to start shifting my own mindset with how I viewed my own body because she was noticing how I was viewing myself because I did a lot in the fitness industry and I was constantly critiquing myself because I was doing these competitions and I'm like, oh, I'm not big enough here. I'm not skinny enough here. I don't have big enough shoulders. And she was hearing these things. And I think she was about six or seven and she didn't want to wear a two-piece bathing suit. And I was like, why don't you want to wear this one? And she's like, because I don't like the way that my stomach looks. And so hearing that, and I'm like, where is she getting this from? I'm like, oh my God, she's she's seeing this. I'm modeling this behavior. She's she's seeing the way that I'm thinking about my own body. So it, it's so important that I think as parents, we we really be mindful of the way that we talk and even the way that we think about ourselves and the way that we think about the world because they are seen and they're literally like little magnets. They see it all. Yes. They understand it all. So we have to be so careful of that. So thank you for, for sharing that because I think it's so important. I also wanted to ask you too, you know, when we're talking about relationships, you know, we're, we've been, we've talked a little bit about your mom, my mom and, and our kids, but how can our thoughts impact even maybe romantic relationships? Because I don't think that we talk about that enough with how our relationship with ourselves can impact our relationships with others, especially romantically. Yeah. I mean, if we are constantly in the negative, we're going to see our relationships in that. Um, Brene Brown talks about this. It's called the story that I tell myself. So your brain makes up a story in your head. And a lot of times we apply that to a situation. So she talks about in one of her books, Long story short, it comes down to like, I'm not an adequate person. I'm not an adequate father. I'm not good enough, that type of stuff. And so that's the story that I'm telling myself from what you said, when that's not the reality. So when we have such a negative view of something, a negative view of ourselves, a negative view of the relationship, a negative view of the world, whatever it may be, that's going to impact some things at a core level in that relationship. It may impact the trust level that you have in that. It may, it may kind of, I always say it might keep you having track shoes in the closet ready to run at any given moment. It affects our attachment, whether it, whether it comes on too strong or it, ne- or too, it takes too long. We see that a lot. Yes, we do. And I think I think a lot of these things that we've been talking about, it's just it's so crazy how when you think about it, so when you when you're thinking about just thoughts, well they're just thoughts. 
So as you can see throughout this podcast, everybody listening, your thoughts can impact relationships. They can impact the way that you function. It can impact your children and generations to come after that. It can impact your health. So the power of your thoughts is so profound. But the the most intriguing thing about everything is that you have the power over your thoughts, but it does take self-awareness and it takes a lot of self-insight. So for you, I know that you have a journal that you just uh, published. So tell me a little bit about your journal because I, I want to link it for everyone to find. It's so beautiful and so well-written. So please tell me about that. Yeah. So the journal that I published is for people who are in therapy. What this is, is it's a journal for therapy to help you get the most out of therapy. One of the common things that I see with my clients coming in is, oh, I don't remember what I want to talk about. Oh, nothing happened in the last three weeks blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, you're telling me in three weeks, nothing happened. You stared at paint drying. And then <laughs> the last 10 minutes is when the doorknob confession comes and you're like, we could have, we could have talked about this the entire session. So I created this journal for people to use in between sessions to not only plan for their next session, but to also reflect because I also hear, well, I forgot to do that. I forgot to practice that. I, it, whatever you say leaves my mind the minute I walk out of the door. It's made to be used in all aspects. And it's also made to be able to reflect because we are, again, thoughts, worst critic. We don't see our baby steps. We struggle to see that. So when you go and you read over the last five sessions, you can say, oh, wow, I did this. I can apply this. I did this. I need to do this. So I made this to be guided, but it also has journaling pages in it. Uh, my favorite little aspect, it has quotes from all of my favorite TikTok therapists, Instagram therapists. They're all there under different, there's an activity for every week that you can do that kind of just like does some reflection for you. There's like 10 things I like about myself. Here's a mindfulness activity. Uh, my favorite is you write down songs for different moods. That's probably one of my favorites. So yeah, it's available on Amazon. I'm sure there's some quotes from Kristen and Justin in there somewhere in the book. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't yeah. doubt it. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to link that for everyone. And I always like to close my podcast with just asking advice to my guests of what, what advice would you give to your younger self? Because I, I love hearing the different answers and I take those nuggets of wisdom for myself. So if you were to look back at your younger, your younger days, younger Kristen, what would mm -hmm. you say to your younger self? I mean, there's no way in hell she would believe it um, because I was 15 and I thought I ruled the world, but those people don't fucking matter. That's right. The, the people in your high school, they don't matter. Like your friends, you might, you might still be friends with them. I'm friends with some people in my high school, but those people, the people who you're not friends with, they don't matter. They matter in like a human aspect as a place in this world, but they don't matter in your life. Because you're going to be 30 and haven't spoken to them since 2010. Or they show up in your Instagram DMs telling you how proud they are of you. And you're like, yes. you believe me. That's Get away right. From me. I've had that happen to me so many times. I know. I'm like, you bullied me? Get away from me. And I, that's hard at 15. Like my 15-year-old self would not have, would not believe me. They Like, I, like people's opinions of me mattered 100% at 15. If I would have known then what I know now, I think my entire high school experience would have been very different. 
I agree. I think I went through a lot of the same things, especially in the Marine Corps. And I get a lot of those same assholes that maybe some of you are even listening. And then they even hit on me and my DMs. I'm like, no, no, absolutely not yeah. going. I'm glad, glad to see you're, you're looking good and doing well. No, sir, not today. <laughs> I remember you so, and the asshole so what you you're were. Saying is so what you're saying is I wasn't looking good then. Uh, excuse you. Right. That's what, that, and that's it, my favorite thing. Like I fuck with, like I'll fuck with trolls every so often. I'll say shit like that. So what you're saying is I didn't look good then. Hmm. Nice. Right. Right. Yeah. So I, I just ignore it. So I think that's such, such solid advice. Kristen, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate your time and your energy and thank you for this amazing conversation. Thank you so much for having me.